Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. This morning, you might notice that we are different than the last month. We wrapped up our Let's Talk series, and then we're, we're launching into a series called God Gives. And we are going to talk today about God Gives Us Plans. And I think it's interesting when it comes to making plans. How many of you guys have ever made plans before? Yeah, yeah. Like, you guys had plans over this weekend. You guys planned to come to church. You guys planned to go to family or family planned to come to you. You guys, uh, like, you had to plan. Like, you can't live life without making plans. Like, as much as I don't like to make plans, I still have to plan. I have board meetings I have to plan for. I have this guy on the, I mean, like, you know, the Lord gives us people that um, are an absolute blessing, and Phil is one of those people, or at least he's turning into one. Um, but we, we, we have plans, and God has plans. How many of you guys have ever heard the scripture that's written on every graduate card ever? Every single person goes to the scripture. All of us, people that don't even know God, atheists quote the scripture. It's Jeremiah 29, for I know the, declares the Lord, plans to you and not, plans to give you a a hope. And, uh, okay, we're going to have to work on our group. Um, we just got through of a group thing. When, when I point, that means talk out loud. It's okay to do that in church. I'm not going to make you sit up here with gum on your nose. Uh, but, we, like, there, there's something beautiful about that scripture. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. You know what that entails, though? It means that we don't know the plans that he has for us. So often we try to figure out God's plans for us, but God alone knows the plans. You know God's love language is trust. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So like, God's love language is trust, so that means we gotta trust him with his plans for us. And I, I think it's kind of interesting. I wanna talk to you a little bit today about God's plans for humanity in a generalized purpose. And, and then I want to take and uh, kind of hone it in for us. But there is a plan from before creation that God had. And it all points to the birth of Christ. And so over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the God's plan we're going to look at God's promise, we're going to look at God's prophecy, and we're going to look at God's purpose. And all, every one of those deal with us, either directly or indirectly. But we're affected by God's plan, promise, prophecy, and purpose. And it all leads up to the birth of our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah, and our Lord. So, in the first two-thirds of your Bible, called the Old Testament, it all points to one person. 
The entire Bible is a narrative about one person. The first two-thirds of the Old Testament points to Christ. The last one-third of your Bible points back to Christ. It's all about Jesus. And so when God makes a plan, when God makes a plan, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is his plan. So I'm going to read a portion of scripture that you guys might not have ever heard during a sermon series in December. Maybe you have, but it's Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 13, and then 20 and 21. And this is the fall of man. This is arguably the darkest Right after the fall of man, this is arguably the darkest time in human history. Because I want us to understand what happened. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no death. Then, Adam and Eve disobeyed. And it wasn't even, if you read the story, you you think that it was the act of biting the apple or or just the act of disobedience, but it really wasn't. It really, the sin happened in their hearts before the act ever happened. Because they believed a different person. Really, the sin that they committed was the act of believing the serpent over believing God. Because God said, don't eat this. You'll surely die. That was what the instruction God gave. He said, don't do this. But then the serpent came along and was like, well, like he does with us. Have you guys ever heard that, that, that serpenty voice in your, in your mind? Well, is it really that bad? Well, I mean, a second look isn't that bad. It's just chocolate cake. You know, like. Chocolate cake can be anything, FYI. Well, is it really you're under grace? Well, God will forgive you. Well, and the story goes on. Well, you surely won't die. But God said we will. No, you'll become like him. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Oh, okay. Man, that fruit does look good. It's good for eating. Adam, you want some? Because the Bible says he was standing right there. Um, just I, I, This is a side note, side message. Men, if you see your wives about to um, sin, you might want to intervene. And also, this is a side note. Um, this is why women still don't like to pick where to eat. You know, last time they picked where to eat, it turned out horrible for humanity. So, I mean, when they say, I don't care, just go with it. You know, I can say that because Amy's not here. Um, but they believed a lie with a little bit of truth. And they bit it, and it's, we step in. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. So the Bible actually never says, this is really, um, you guys are going to actually ignore me after I say this, and then you're going to try to prove me wrong for the rest of the message. Okay? 
I'm going to just tell you right up front, the Bible never says Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. It doesn't say that. This is the only time it records God walking in the cool of the day. And it's after they sinned. So, but they heard him. And you're like, oh, that can't be right. Bible, where's my concordance? Google's coming out. I've got to bust out the big guns. Um, So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God knew where they were. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Guilty. It's amazing. God didn't come on with the condemnation that we so often think he does. When we mess up, what often do we think of God? We have this preconceived notion that he's about to splat us or slap us or we have to make things up to God. And isn't it interesting that with sin comes shame? They, they were shameful because of their sin and their nakedness. And they had no reason to be. But when you sin, it brings shame. But the beautiful part about God is he didn't come at them strong. He came at them like a father. Even when... When, like, I want you to understand the, the gravitas of this, what just happened. Because they, they listened to the wrong voice, it subjected man and all creation to death. Like, I want you to understand this. This is huge. Because they sinned, trees started to die. Because they sinned, animals started to die. Like, everything. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. The, the result of sin is death. Before there was sin, there was no death. Death is a byproduct of sin. Physical death is a byproduct of sin. This body is getting older and stronger with every day. Not stronger, I'm just joking. But this body is dying slowly over time. It really is because I'm I, I riddled with sin. My physical body is not redeemed yet. My soul is, my spirit is, but this is not, nor are yours. That's why we celebrate birthdays and we get closer to death every day. Wow, that's so encouraging. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Wow. But the reality is Jesus didn't save us for this planet or this life here on earth. He saved us for eternity because he wants to restore Eden, what the enemy took from us. And the truth is, this was probably one of the biggest impacting things in humanity up until the cross or the birth and the cross of Christ. And so God, though, he doesn't come, and he doesn't condemn, he doesn't squish. We're going to read, and it's amazing what God does. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. He always leaves out, every time I read this, he always leaves out that he was standing with the woman when she picked it. The Bible says that he was with her. Like, he, he just blamed it on Eve. Isn't, isn't that the case? 
Sometimes this is how my mind wanders, but I wonder what would happen if Adam would have taken responsibility, if he would have just confessed his sin. Sometimes I, I, I wonder like that, but I mean, it's okay to wonder. I'm not writing a new Bible or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I wonder, because the Bible says if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but he blames someone else. That's so often what we do when we fall into sin. We blame something else instead of saying, God, forgive me. I messed up. And God's like, boom, you're forgiven. Then the Lord God asks the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So after that, I skip down to verse 20. There is this blame game, and he gets down to the serpent, and then he curses the serpent. And then he curses the works of a man. Then he, then he says, woman, you're going to have increased pain, massively increased pain in childbirth, which are all results of sin. And he puts animosity between the, 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 the woman's seed and the serpent. And how many girls in here still hate snakes? I mean, like, yeah, still there. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And this is what's interesting. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Because of sin, this is the first recording of death. And God had to kill and shed blood to cover sin. You notice what he did? Even from the beginning, his plan was to cover your shame. The very things that they were hiding, God covers. I want to jump forward, if you're following along, to 1 Peter chapter 1, 18-25. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which will lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. Let that sink in. You want to talk about God's plan? God gave Adam and Eve just a snippet of his plan, how he was going to shed blood to cover sin. But this is a culmination of his plan. And he chose it before he spoke. Let there be. It's not that God caused them to sin. It's not that God chose them and said they're going to do this. But God wanted a plan because he loves us so much. He cares for us so much. He said, I can't go eternity. I don't, I, it's not that he can't. He doesn't want to go eternity without us because he loves his creation. In all of creation, if you go read chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's kind of interesting, but he speaks everything into existence. He didn't have to. He could have thought it into existence. He speaks. But when it came to the forming of man and woman, he gets down. 
forms us out of the dirt. He uses his hands, and then he does something that he doesn't do to anything else. He breathes in us. He puts his spirit in us. We're created in his image. We're eternal beings. And because he loves us, he chose to ransom Christ long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for our sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have been placed, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters. You know, it's always interesting. No matter what happens, when it talks about salvation, the Bible always refers back to the result of salvation showing love for other people. It's an overflow of a relationship with God. So if you're walking around hating on people, you don't have a relationship with God. You just don't. Because the overflow of a relationship with God is love for people. Not just people, but our brothers and sisters. We love people, but the truth is we love each other. And the Bible says, our, our number one apologetic, he says, you will know, people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. But really what people see the church a lot as is as people that stand against stuff. You can't get on social media without seeing what Christians stand against. And why are we being defined by what we stand against when we could be defined by the love of God? We've substituted what we should be defined by. The result of a relationship with God is always, is always love. But yet, man, we get on social media and we say like, man, this is marriage and this is this and this is that and this is, there's this gender and there's, you know, there's only two gender, you know, like we stand against all these things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't make stands. Don't get me wrong. I, I believe in biblical marriage, and, I, I, and I, I, I believe in what God created. Don't get me wrong, but let's, let's show the world a different way. Let's show them what we could be and what God intends for us to be. Let's love each other. Let's love people, d despite how they define themselves. Because it's <laughs> the Bible says it's God's loving kindness that draws people to repentance. It's not what we stand against that draws people to repentance. If anything, that pushes people. That's actually not in my notes at all. I'm sorry. I haven't preached for like a month. So, uh, uh, love each other deeply with all your heart. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal, the living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. I want to take for the next few moments and talk about God's plan for us and how it impacts our life. So let's define what a plan is real quick. A plan is a detailed proposal for doing or achieving something. 
or option B, an intention or decision about one, about what one is going to do. So they play into each other. I'm going to read that again. A detailed proposal for, for doing or achieving something or an intention or decision about what one is going to do. That is, by definition, what a plan is. But then there's other types of plans. Like, how many of you guys have insurance plans? Yeah, life insurance, health insurance, car insurance. Um, and the more money you shell out, the better the plan, right? Pretty much. Sometimes you can get really good plans for a lot of money. Um, see what I did there? But there's plans, and, they, and a plan covers so much. And I'm not equating what Christ did to an insurance plan because what Christ did is not um, fire insurance or hell insurance or anything like that. It's so much more. God wants a relationship with us, but his plan covers a lot. The grace of God covers a multitude of sins, just like um, when you have liability insurance and you hit someone else, well, you fix their car, but you're stuck. It only covers so much, but man, if you have full coverage and you hit someone, you have that gap insurance, suddenly, not only do this, does their car get fixed, but your car gets, or you might get a new car. You know what, what I'm saying? Like, the insurance, different plans cover different things, but God's plan, God's plan is different. God's plan covers everything. And the best part about God's plan is it doesn't cost you anything. That's the beauty of God's plan. I've looked at insurance recently, and I thought, nope. <laughs> um, that's the only thought I could have. And I thought, wow, that's neat. But then I think about God's plan for my life and how it didn't cost me anything but to wake up and say, God, what do you want to do today? And it's blessed me beyond measure. The dividends, the, the, the interest that I get back on having a relationship with God, it's amazing. But the thing is, it did cost. Because you can't have a plan and not cost. I could plan a date, but it still cost. I could plan to go on a date with my wife. It cost me something. It, it, it cost, it, I mean, like, uh, she doesn't eat for free. I mean, she's gorgeous. But there's only one member of our family that's ever got anything free from a restaurant, and it was Sky. Like she walked up to, she walked up to a lady at Panera Bread back in Missouri. She was probably about Payton's age. Um, Payton was still in the incubator, and um, and so Sky walked up and she saw a cookie on the counter. And I didn't know this, like I was getting coffee or whatever, and she walked up and said, can I please have, have that cookie? And the manager just handed her a cookie. And I thought, I'm going to try it. And he's like, that'll be five bucks. I'm like, oh, all right. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, but Amy's still gorgeous, but that has not happened yet. So it costs, plans cost. Any, anything you do costs you something. It costs you time, which is the only commodity you never get back, even though we're eternal. It costs you something. 
God's plan cost him greatly. The first thought, I want to give you four observations about God's plan, and I want us to, to just chew on for a little bit. But the first thought is God's plan cost him greatly. First Peter 1.20 says, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. There is a couple things going on here, but I want us to grab a hold of this and chew on it for a little bit. God saw you before he spoke earth into existence. He saw your sin before anything was. And he said, you're worth it. But it was at a cost. Because I want you to think about this. Let's talk about who God is. I know we just did a series about Jesus is. But we serve an eternal God that exists outside of time and space. He's infinite in every single way. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything there ever was and there ever will be. He's omnipotent. He has all power. And then he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. There's not a place that you can go where he has not already been and he's not going with you. God, existing outside of time and space, an infinite God, steps in. This is like, sometimes I, I think that we gloss over, I'm going to get this out of the way. I think sometimes we gloss over what this cost, the manger cost God. Because a being that existed forever before time and will exist forever after time, an infinite being stepped into a finite world. It cost him. He steps right in. God who never needed suddenly needs. A God who's never felt cold is suddenly cold. A God who's never felt warm is suddenly warm. A God who's never felt pain is suddenly experiencing pain. A God who's never felt hunger is suddenly hungry. God needed for the first time in all of creation, for the first time before time, God needed. This is the greatest sacrifice the world has ever seen. The manger of Christ, the birth of Christ was the greatest sacrifice the world has ever seen up until that point. Only to be trumped by him 33 years later on the cross. God needed, an infinite God became finite. An immortal God became mortal. It cost him. But this was part of his plan all along to ransom us to give us hope, to give us a future. This, is, this was his plan because he knew that plans cost and there's always a cost for something and there's a cost for sin. Like you notice that it says he ransomed us. 
Who did he ransom to? So often I've heard it preach that Jesus paid the devil on the cross. No, he didn't. He paid God because we sinned against God. Our debt was against God. God had to step into humanity to pay himself because we aren't good for the debt. It would take us an eternity in hell to pay back what we did. And that's still not long enough. It cost him greatly. When God was walking through the garden, he knew exactly what had happened. And what he did in the garden was an exact depiction of what he had to do. And I love the fact that he steps into the garden and doesn't condemn not one person. Yet he sheds blood and covers their shame. He sheds blood and covers their shame. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm sick and tired of Christians feeling guilty when Jesus pled guilty for you. We feel guilty over silly things. We feel guilty because we didn't read our Bible. Oh, I missed a day. I'll make it up to you. We, we feel guilty. Oh, man, I didn't pray that much today. Or we feel guilty when we sin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You should, you should feel guilty. Well, yes and no. You should and you shouldn't. If you stay too long in the guilt of your sin, then you're and you'll start doing stupid things like, God, I have to find a common ground with you in order for you to hear my prayer because, you know what, I did some stupid stuff last night. I said some things. I gossiped this week, you know, all that stuff. And God's like, no, you don't. Like, the common ground is a cross, and Jesus paid it all. His cro- like, whenever we start to try to find common ground with God, it's saying, Jesus, your cross isn't enough. But there is something to be said about, God, I don't want to do that again. Help me. That's an appropriate response to sin, not guilt. Jesus pled guilty so you don't have to be guilty. God made him who knew no sin. It cost him greatly. God doesn't condemn you. If you're hearing a condemnation in your heart, that's not God. He doesn't communicate through condemnation. Conviction is is guilt over unconfessed sin. Condemnation is guilt over things that God you've already confessed to God. God doesn't work through condemnation. God's plan cost him greatly. God's plan covers you personally. I love this because when you think about insurance, what does it do? It covers you personally. It doesn't like sometimes car insurance will cover other cars and stuff like that, but health insurance, it covers you. It's a personal care. It's, it's this plan that covers you. When I, when I had my car accident back in 2012, um, I, was, uh, I had Sigma insurance. That was with a question. I'm pretty sure I had Sigma. But it covered me personally. I had to be in the hospital for a long time. And I cracked my skull, my eye socket, my jaw, all this stuff. And they know they could not fix my face. And, um, but when I got the bill, I got a bill for 
a life flight. I had to be life flighted from northern Arkansas to Springfield, Missouri. And I got to tell you that gas for a helicopter is expensive. Um, it cost about $200 a mile. And I thought, wow, my first helicopter ride, and I don't remember it. And uh, um, I was out cold in the back of that thing, and it cost more to fly, like, the 90 miles than all four years of college student loans. And I thought, this is neat. This is how you want to launch into, in, into life with that much medical debt. And, uh, but I remember grabbing this bill and praying over it. I said, God, I can't, I can't pay this back. And I threw it on the table. And, it, and um, I actually, months went by before I got, like it wasn't a bill, but it was how much I owed. It said, this is not a bill, but this is how much you owe. And so I just, I, that was the only prayer I prayed over it. And I actually, months went by, I ended up, I, like three or four months went by, and I, I got my C collar off because I had that on for three months right here. I was like this for like three months straight, which is really neat. And, um, and uh, I was back at work, and my mom called me on my break, and she goes, Ryan, guess how much the insurance covered? I don't know. I was thinking like five, six hundred bucks. Like anything would be better than the full thing. It was like $25,000. And um, she goes, they covered all of it. They covered all of it. And I started crying. And I was like, God, this was you. This was you. And because it was deemed life-threatening, it was personal. It didn't, it, it was like me. It was all about, like, I, I, I just remember thinking, wow. Like, I never thought they cared for me. But in a, in a split moment, I thought, wow, this insurance, because it was deemed life-threatening, it was, it was a, this personal coverage. It was a clause in the insurance. But God's clause is so much more. God's, God's coverage is so much more personal. Because guess what? The insurance didn't call me up and be like, check on me. Like, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Yeah, let's go get coffee. You know, they didn't do that. They didn't want a relationship. They just wrote a check. See ya. But God, he not only wrote the check, he covered you personally. It's so much more. He checks in on you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you just to have fire insurance. He wants a personal relationship with you. His plan is to be your God and you be his people. His plan is to be your father. Jesus came and died so we can have a relationship with our heavenly father. That's his plan. It's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. It's so much more than what we give it credit for. And it's so much more than we could ever think about when we think about the personal nature of God, when we think about his, his union with us, what he affords us. And, and, and in fact, it goes beyond that. When, when the Bible starts to talk about the relationship nature between the church and God, it says that we're his body. 
And you can't get much more personal than that. Because when one part of my body hurts, my whole body hurts. When I had my C collar on for three months straight, literally 24 hours a day, I had to do every, I sleep in it, shower in it. When I changed, I had to lay down on the bed and my dad had to push down on the mattress. And like, it was crazy how, like, um, it was really, it was a lot of fun. You guys should try it out. Um, but where was I going? Sorry. I lost my train of thought talking about a sea collar. But God's plan, he's like, when my neck hurt, when my neck hurt, I couldn't sleep. It affected my rest. Like, when my neck hurt, my back hurt. When my neck hurt, my ankles were hurting. Like, it didn't, like, it didn't make sense. Some of the parts of my body that hurt when my neck was hurting. I'm like, why? But my whole body hurt. It disrupted everything in my body when my neck was hurting. I forgot that I had a crack in my skull because my neck hurt that much. They're asking me, how's your head feeling? I had like 72 staples in my head. I'm like, I don't care. My neck is killing me. And um, it, it hurt. The whole body hurt. And, and, and that's this type of relationship that God wants in his body. He wants us to, to hurt when, whenever each other hurt. But at the same time, he says we rejoice when others rejoice. You know, when I was in college, we, were, we won two regional championships. And we got to cut down a portion of the net. And, and like, we, we got to, you know, we, we got all this stuff. And guess what? It wasn't just my mouth going, yeah, yay. And I was laying on the ground. It was my whole body going, yes, we won. You know, like, we were, like, really, when we shook hands, good game, good game. And all of our minds were actually thinking, we just stomped you, we just stomped you, we just stomped you. Like, it was like... Like, my whole body was rejoicing, and my whole team was rejoicing with me. It wasn't just one part of me rejoicing. And there, there, this, this plan of God, is, it's this personal thing. We're his body. We rejoice with each other. We get excited for each other. Man, man uh, when you go on a mission trip, man, I get excited when I hear the reports and I see Facebook because that's awesome. Lives are changed. Churches are being, literally being built. So, I mean, like, I get excited when I, dude, if you guys ever want to hear an awesome story, go talk to this guy right here. It's an amazing thing. I get encouraged and I get excited. But when I hear about other things, there are times where I just stop and pray. That's this personal part of God's plan. And not only does he identify us as his body, but then he turns around and identifies the church as his bride. There's something so intimate about God saying the church is his bride. That means he cares for our every whim. He wants to be a part of our lives. He pays attention to when we say things. I'm not perfect at it, but sometimes I'm just sitting in the car and Amy likes to drive, so I let her drive. And I'll just listen to what she'll say. She'll say stuff like, man, I really want to get some, like, those exercise bands and stuff like that. Or she'll say little things like that in passing conversation. And then what I try to do is I'll, I'll try to, like, make a mental note. And sometimes I log them away, and they'll be there for years. But um, 
I'm like, oh yeah. Um, but I've been trying to be really intentional recently about when she says something like that to go and say, you know what, she really wants this. I'm going to go get it for her. And so I walked in the other day, and I'm, I, I can't surprise her. I can't surprise Amy to save my life. It's almost impossible. So, like, I have to go to Walmart under pretenses of getting something for me, and then I won't tell her anything, and then I have to get it for her that day because she'll, she'll find out. She will find out that I've got her something. And I won't wrap it. I'll walk in, and I'll just say, here, honey. And, like, but she just, like, thank you so much. And, like, don't, don't ever tell her that I said that, but she'll cry sometimes, and she's not proud of those moments. But, but if I do that as a husband, I pay attention to when my wife says, I really want this. Um, she told me she wanted a sweatshirt the other day, and I went and got one. And she, um, she, um, we, I think we're getting coffee at Mule Town. And she goes, oh, I really like that Mule Town sweatshirt. And I was like, likes Mule Town sweatshirt. My birthday is next week. All right, here we go. And then I went and got it. And so I actually surprised her. I think for the first time in my life, I surprised. But how much more do you think God does stuff like that? It's personal. God's plan is personal. It covers us personally. God's plan condemns sin, not you. We hit on this a little bit, but God's plan was never to condemn you. God's plan is to cover you. God's plan is to, to, to take that shame off of you. God's plan is to pay your debt so because you, you can't pay it. God's plan condemns sin, not you. Even in the garden, he, had to, he didn't condemn Adam or Eve. He talked about the consequences. Sometimes we, we get caught up and think when we sin, there aren't consequences. There are consequences for sin in this life, even though Christ paid the penalty. But if you go and steal a car, God will forgive you stealing that car, but the state of Tennessee will not. Um, and you will go to jail for it. There are consequences for sin. Adam and Eve had to deal with the consequences of their sin, but God still covered their shame. He still paid the price of their sin. And that's what he does for us. That's why people are getting saved all the time in jail. They're completely saved and their record is wiped clean. Their, their, their sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, and yet they're still in jail because there are consequences. But your eternity is taken care of. At the end of the day, God doesn't save you for this life. He says, fix our eyes on heaven. We've got to keep looking at that. We're, we're eternal. And so God, he condemns sin, not you. If you're walking around today feeling guilty, stop. Stop feeling guilty. God, that's not God. If you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, then stop feeling guilty. Start going after Jesus. The attitude of gratitude. Just start thanking him for everything he's done. It's really hard to feel guilty when you start thanking God for what he's done for you. Just start thanking him for his cross. Just think about what we talked about this morning. Wow, God, you stepped into humanity out of eternity. 
God, you did this for me. It's hard. It's hard to feel guilty when you think about what Jesus did for you. When you think about, you know what, God did that for you, that means your life has worth. God puts worth on your life. So he condemns sin. He doesn't condemn you. And the last thought I want to leave, leave you with, Ben, if you would, is God's plan controls the outcome. God's plan controls the outcome. Peter tells us that through Christ you have come to trust God and you have been pla- and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart for you have been born again not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. God's plan for you controls the outcome of your life. We started off with this thought, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If we trust God, we walk with God, we go after God, his plans for you already have your days lined out. The Bible says in Proverbs, God makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps. It's kind of like this, God's going to get his way you might as well step in, in, in with his way. Because if God's ordering your steps already, <laughs> like you can make all the plans you want, but God's ordering your steps, you might as well not fight it, just walk with Jesus. You might as well just allow him to control the outcome of your life. Just trust him with all of your heart. Just go after him. God's, God has the outcome already written. He orders the steps of the righteous. He, he wants the outcome of your life to be in heaven with him. That's what he wants. That's why he stepped in humanity from the beginning. That was his plan all along. He knew the end from the beginning. And and it just starts today saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, we're just going to have this opportunity. And this is simple. It's so simple. Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God, that he died on the cross, he rose again, we're, we're Christian. And, and what that does is it changes the outcome of our eternity. It changes it from hell to heaven. Our eternities change because this is what Christ paid. The wages of sin is death and hell is often referred to as eternal death. But when we walk with Jesus, He gives us new life. He gives us new purpose. He gives us this plan. We we don't know the plan of God, but man, the, the, the beautiful part about walking with God is just that. We think we know what tomorrow holds, but we don't know. We don't have a clue. Like we're we're gonna set our alarm tonight before we go to bed, but we still don't know what tomorrow is gonna hold. But that's the beautiful part about trusting God, because he does. 
His, his plan controls the outcome of your life. His, his plan is good. His plan is to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Man, for the Israelites back in Jeremiah's day, that was the promised land. But God has a promised kingdom that he's going to bring to earth called heaven. And that he wants to, us to be a part of. The only way to do that is through Jesus and what he did for us. And what I would ask today, if you have not, is to trust God with your outcome. Trust God with the things that you've been praying about. Some of us have been praying for big things. Some of us have been praying for healings. Some of us have been praying for finances. Some of us have been praying for, for family situations. Like some of us have been praying for anxiety and depression in our life. Like let's, let's just take a moment and trust God. Say, God, you are enough. You were enough 2,000 years ago on the cross and you're still enough. He's enough for your healing. He's enough 